0: So as you all can see from the board, tonight's topic is, should Buddhists be conservative? So after the the talk, you will know whether you are conservative or you are not. And please raise any questions that you have after the talk. I think Bhante will only give a talk for about one hour. especita
1: Together. May our respect
2: be to the Buddha,
1: who is perfectly enlightened and the blessed. <speaking in foreign language> Namu Thas Bhagavato Arhato Samma Samyutta Namu Thas Bhagavato. Arahato, samma samyutta namo tassa bhagavato Arahato, samma samyutta satta. any Should Buddhists be conservative? First of all, All then what is all together created the tradition so that is what we call Buddhist tradition but when it comes to traditions we also can see different multicultural Buddhist traditions different schools have got different traditions Why there are so many multicultural Buddhist traditions? Buddhism is spread far and wide in the world in a peaceful way. When it is spread to other countries, Buddhism embraced those existing cultures and traditions. Buddhism did not destroy the other cultures, peacefully coexisted with them, blended with them, then came with various cultural aspects in it. Some of these beliefs have nothing to do with Buddhism. They come from different other religions. When Buddhism spread into China, it mixed with Taoism, and some existing other religious and cultural beliefs. When it is spread to Tibet, it mixed with born religion and came with another tradition. Have you heard about four-faced Buddha? But according to historical fact, Buddha has got only one face. But then this is again the concept of Brahma in Hinduism. So when Buddhism is spread into Thailand, this concept of Brahma was prevailed and was existing and then they replaced the Brahma with Buddha and came out four-faced Buddha. So in this way, in different Buddhist traditions, there are different Buddhist beliefs and practices. Some of them are not totally Buddhists, but they come from other religions and other cultural practices and beliefs. Now, a question may arise, is tradition very important, is tradition important? Of course tradition is very important. Why it is very important? Because it is within the tradition the true teachings of the Buddha is preserved. Like a tree. Within the tree there is the hardwood. But this hardwood is preserved because of the roots, bark, branches, leaves of the tree. So these roots, barks, branches, and all they contribute one way or another way to preserve, to protect the heartwood of the tree. Exactly in the same manner, devotional practices, rites and rituals, Buddhist customs and those uh, Buddhist culture related beliefs and all these are also important because of them the Dhamma is preserved deep inside the culture deep inside the tradition so tradition is important but we should not follow the tradition blindly. When it comes to traditions, we have to be open-minded. We have to follow the traditions with right understanding. We should not follow anything out of blind faith. In fact, Buddha himself said to kalamas, etta tumhe kalama ma paramparaya palamas do not follow the traditions just because it came down from generation to generation do not follow it out of blind faith here you must question it you must analyze it you must understand it and having understood the value then only you must practice it Some Buddhists are too traditional. They are too traditional to the extent that they reject whatever modernization. They are totally against any kind of changes, any kind of modernization. And they are very, very traditional types of Buddhists. And they have become the prisoners of their own traditions. Then, can we do away without, with with traditions? Can you do away with traditions altogether? And there is another group of Buddhists who are modernist, they reject the traditions. So, these are the two extremes. One group of Buddhists, they are traditional Buddhist, and they totally reject. Any kind of modernization. The other group of Buddhists, they are modern Buddhists and they totally reject the traditions. This is the other extreme. So, what is the Buddhist approach to tradition and modernization? Was Buddha conservative? Was Buddha a traditionalist or modernist? In fact, Buddha, being perfectly enlightened human teacher, he approached tradition and modernization with open mind. Buddha's approach to this problem is in fact very practical empirical and rational buddhists avoid all the kinds of extremes then we adopt middle path so buddha himself recognized the value of the traditions in traditions there are useful valuable customs practices which are beneficial For the well-being and happiness of multitudes for the well-being and happiness of many and Buddha adopted accepted such kind of practices at the same time in the name of the traditions there are also harmful useless meaningless practices that we carried out generations after generations Buddha, in fact, rejected such kind of practices, regardless of religious labels, rejected them. So So Buddha Buddha approached the tradition with with open mind, and And he did not hesitate to take actions to become modernized in a positive, positive, constructive, and wholesome way. That is the Buddhist approach to tradition and modernization. some people think because of Western cultural influences some we think that whatever comes from the West is the best but nothing is best or nothing is worse just because it comes from Western in the same token nothing is bad or good just because it is coming from Eastern tradition. So being Buddhist we must develop a kind of attitude, kind of understanding, which is a balanced attitude. And we must use our common sense. We can, we must analyze, scrutinize, then only we must accept it. So we come to the question here. Should Buddhists be conservative? Buddhists should be conservative when it comes to preserving the Dhamma. The sublime teachings of the Buddha, that is the ultimate truth. And when it comes to these sublime teachings, it is said, swakato bhagavata dhammo. The Dhamma is well expounded by the blessed one. So when it is said that Dhamma is well expounded by the blessed one, in fact there is nothing left by the Buddha to be rediscovered by his later disciples. He said and he proclaimed the teachings in its original format which is essential for us. And he said, Ananda Tathagatesu Acharya Mutti Ananda, there is no secret teachings in the Tathagata's Dhamma. So Buddhism is well proclaimed and it is well delivered by the Buddha himself. There's nothing for us to add more And there's nothing for us to reduce. It's perfect. It's perfectly said by the Buddha. Because of that reason, we must preserve that Dhamma. We must not allow to misinterpret this sublime teaching. So when it comes to this particular point of preserving the true sublime noble teachings of the buddha in its original format we must be conservative sanditiko the dhamma is easily visible here and now there are some religious traditions and some religions that proclaim that their last goal the spiritual goal can be achieved only after the death but not in Buddhism. When it comes to Buddhism the last goal which is the enlightenment and it is to be achieved while we are living here and now enlightenment is not something that we need to achieve after the death. It is visible here and now and it can be experienced by any human being. Because of that reason, this sublime Dhamma, that taught by the Buddha, must be preserved in its pre- purity, in its original format. And when it comes to preserving that teaching, Buddhists should be conservative. Come and check it by yourself. In some other religious systems, we come across, come and believe, have faith. But when it comes to Buddhist teachings, we very bravely encourage everyone, come and test it by yourself. Ehi Pasiko having tested tested by yourself then you must must understand it like uh, when a piece of gold is given to a goldsmith he will cut it he will rub it he will do the experiments which it touch stones and after doing such experiments only then he will come to conclusion whether it is a genuine piece of gold or not exactly in the same manner when it comes to the Dhamma, we had to analyze, we had to scrutinize, and after analyzing, scrutinizing, then only we must accept the sublime teachings of the Buddha. Buddha encourage wise human beings to understand this teaching. Buddha encourage Dedicated human beings to practice these teachings. With a challenge for those who are courageous and those who have got vigor to come forward and practice this Dhamma, verify by themselves and achieve enlightenment. So, because of these reasons, because Dhamma is to be Tested here and now and it invite one to come and verify by himself because of that reasons. When it comes to preserving the Dhamma, we have to be conservative. Opa Naiko. Practising the Dhamma eventually leads to enlightenment. To cessation from sufferings, to end this cycle of birth and death. Those who practice the Dhamma, step by step, eventually, gradually, they develop their spiritual faculties, and when the right time comes, they will break through the delusions and achieve perfect enlightenment. Open eye, ko. This path that the Buddha proclaimed well. And it is well established. So there are thousands of human beings who practice this Dhamma and achieve enlightenment. Since it is easily visible, since it is practical and realizable here and now, and since it is leading upward towards the enlightenment, we must, we must preserve, preserve this Dhamma. Dhamma. So when it comes to preservation of this true Dhamma, we have to be conservative. Swakato Bhagavata Dhamma Sandhittiko Akaliko We miss out as Akaliko. Akaliko here means Dhamma is beyond the time. It is timeless message. Because The teachings of the Buddha is the ultimate teachings, ultimate truth. If it is the ultimate truth, the truth cannot be changed with the time. If it is the truth, truth must be there forever. There are some religions who change their religious principles and philosophical concepts when uh, modern science and technology discover things in the world, in order to suit with them, in order to be compatible with them, they started to change. But the, there's nothing to change in the Dharma because Dharma itself is scientific. And Buddha the approached the problem of suffering in a scientific way. Because of that, the Dharma is timeless. 2,500 years back, in ancient India, Buddha they delivered this Dhamma, people who lived in the past, they realized the Dhamma. Today in the modern society, whoever a human being who practice this Dhamma, they will realize the same truth. They will experience the same bliss and happiness in the future. Whoever a human being were to practice these sublime teachings, that human being also will realize the same bliss and happiness enlightenment. So whether it is in the past, present or future, there is no any difference for this Dhamma. Because of that, Dhamma is beyond the time. So we must protect these teachings and when it comes to preservation and protection, we have to be conservative. We should not let any kind of Misinterpretation because it is the origin, and this origin teaching is very precious. Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo Sanditiko Akaliko Ehi Pasiko Opanaiko Pachatang Veditabu Vinyuhi. Then again it is said. This sublime teachings has to be verified, has to be understood by wise people here and now. Once the Buddha said, Panya Dhammo Nanyang Dhammo Dupanyas, my teachings is in fact for those people who are wise and intelligent. When he said this teaching is only for the wise people, he did not discriminate the others. He simply put in a truth across. Because to understand these sublime teachings and practice and achieve enlightenment, we need a great deal of intelligence and spiritual maturity. So these teachings can be verified by each and every individual in the society as long as you practice it since it is the case we do not need to change it so when it comes to the preservation protecting of the sublime teachings we had to be conservative so dhamma, dhamma is beyond the time and space again wherever we live in this world whether you live in Singapore Malaysia, America, Alaska, or Africa, any other part of the world, wherever you live, beyond the cultural, ethnic, religious barriers, as long as human beings practice these teachings, they will realize the same truth. So it goes beyond the space barriers and beyond the time barriers. Because of that, this Dhamma is precious, and we must preserve it, and when it comes to preservation, Buddhists have to be conservative. Now, although Buddhists have to be conservative when it comes to preservation of Dhamma, Buddhists should not be conservative when it comes to propagating the Dhamma two different things preserving the Dharma is one thing propagating the Dharma is another thing when it come to share the teachings of the Buddha we had to adopt modernization we had to be creative and innovative we had to approach the modern society's, modern human mind, and we must deliver the Dhamma without distorting it in a such a way that modern human beings will understand. In the time of the Buddha, 2,500 years back, when he came across farmers, he talked about fatty fields, and using the fatty fields as examples, he delivered the Dhamma. But if but we use the same simile here, same examples in Singapore context, where you haven't seen any pedophiles here, it doesn't applicable to you. It doesn't click. So here when it come to propagating the Dhamma, when it come to communication of the Dhamma, we should not be conservative. We had to be open-minded, we had to be modern, we have to be creative and innovative. We must use all the facilities, existing, available, all the methods, and reach to those people who have got little dust in their eyes. So they will open their eyes and see this truth, and they will realize it by themselves. So we must use Facebook, Twitter. Whatsapp, Viber, or whatever the social media, which is available. the Each and every one of you must take this responsibility. The monks and nuns alone cannot do that. Why should you propagate the Dhamma? Why should you do the Dhamma sharing? Out of compassion. With the delivered, the Dhamma proclaimed these teachings out of compassion. Throughout 45 years, he dedicated his life to propagate the teaching, his noble disciples too follow the footsteps of the Buddha, and still they are doing it. But you are disciples of the Buddha. With your capacity, then start sharing what you can, using whatever the methods that you can utilize in order to share this Dhamma with the others out of compassion, goodwill, and friendship. So when it comes to this particular point of propagating the Dhamma, sharing the teachings, we should not be conservative, but we have to be innovative and creative. Buddhists should not be conservative when it comes to tradition do not become a blind follower of a tradition. Tradition is created by us. Tradition came into existence because of time and conditions. In some time upon the history, there was some necessary conditions to do something, to introduce something, and because of that, our great-grandfathers introduced those things. But now time and conditions have elapsed and have changed. We are living in 21st century. So some of those traditional practices we are still carried out, they are no more relevant to modern society. Why do we have to be so foolish? Why do we have to be so blind to still carry on such practices? So we have to be brave enough and we must adopt We must adjust to the modern needs, to the modern society. So we must give up whatever useless practices that we do in the name of the religious traditions. So when it comes to the traditions, Buddhists should not be conservative. We are always talking about anicca, but we hesitate to do simplest changes in the monastery. We do not want to change. But we always talk about anicca impermanence. Now, what are the problems we face because of clinging to tradition blindly? There are many people in the society who think Buddhism is old passion religion. They probably think in such a way because of traditional outlook that Buddhists represent. In fact, Buddhism is not old passion outdated teaching. Buddhism is modern, it is scientific, it is rational, practical, and empirical. In fact, Buddhism is needed in modern society than the ancient societies. In modern societies, we come across many problems. There are hundreds and thousands of people who are suffering from mental diseases. Stress, tension, agony. Some of these people commit suicide. Some others they go for counselings, take medicines. They cannot sleep at night. They don't have peace. Buddhist Buddhist tactics of meditation can bring solace and peace to this humanity. Today, in fact, the psychologists and the doctors they are opening their eyes, awareness. And in Western culture, especially Buddhist meditation techniques are used to treat the mental patients. Mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy are such kind of techniques that they are using. All these are based on mindfulness practice in Buddhism. Modern society also affected by terrorism, violence racism war and we all have fear of nuclear war but buddhist, buddhist thoughts of living kindness the meditation of metta if human beings read of such practices this whole earth will be a heaven everyone will be peaceful We can settle the issues, we can settle the problems if we really have to practice the Buddha's teachings. Today we are talking about global warming. Buddhism talks that everyone and everything else, we are interdependent. Human beings, animals, flora and fauna, this planet and the other planetary systems, we all are interconnected, interdependent. So Buddhism teaches interdependent coexistence, and we must develop in a such a way our economic, cultural, political aspects in human life, without damaging our environment, the other living beings, without creating conflicts and miseries in human societies. such teachings are more valuable for modern society in these cosmopolitan cities than in ancient societies. The five precepts, the moral principles that the Buddhists uphold, they are meant to create peaceful, social, cultural, righteous societies. Where human beings can live peacefully, happily, believing in each other, trusting each other, respecting each other without fear. So friends, Buddhism is in fact more applicable to modern societies than the ancient societies. But we have a problem. We have a problem. What is the problem? We are too traditional. I give you a simile to understand this suppose friends there are two gems one of them is is genuine one a very very precious precious gem. gem the other one is a fake one now this genuine gem which which is very precious and priceless one is wrapped in the all design color faded paper the other one which is the fake gem is covered and wrapped in beautifully designed shiny colorful paper and if these two gems were to kept on a table of course that shiny paper colorful paper will attract our eyes so common people, they will go to that shiny paper. But wise people, they will open it up. They will go a little bit further to check whether it is genuine or not. Buddhism is for those people. But anyway, we have to change our wrapping. If you are not going to change your wrapping, then of course, you look like old fashioned. This is where we have to pay Buddhist leaders both monastic and the lay lay leaders must pay more attention. Well we did in the past and it's not a problem that we can do it in the future. In the past We were creative, innovative, and we did it in such a way that we spread the sublime teachings of the Buddha all over Asia without dropping a single drop of blood. How did we do that? If you go to the Buddhist literature, you will find Buddhist monks, nuns, lay people, leaders, communicators, We all got together and we did it in a wonderful way. Through the paintings, we discussed the Dhamma. We taught the people the Dhamma. Through songs and poems, we taught the Dhamma. Through dramas, we taught the Dhamma. Through music, we taught the Dhamma. We did not only depend on the books and the talks we used all the available material to propagate the dharma. Trace back to Chinese Buddhist literature, you will come across such wonderful resources. But are we doing it now? Are we doing it in modern society? How many Buddhist temples use music Dramas to reach the young generation. Many temples are very traditional. Now we are talking about, sometimes parents come and say that the teenagers, they are turned away to other religions. They give up Buddhism. Why it is so? There must be reasons for that. Obviously, one of the reasons is modern Western cultural influence. We cannot deny it. Because of the modern cultural influence, our thinking is affected in such a way, we perceive the world in such a way, to believe whatever comes from the West is the best. And we are made to think in such a way. Because of our modern education, and modern education is based on Western thinking. Because of our modern culture, it is based on the Western culture. Our science, philosophy, our culture, all these based on the Western culture. Once upon a time, we were dominated by them and uh, trained by them to think in a such a way that they want, so we still think the way they want, because of that, when it comes to religion, we still think what comes from the best is what comes from the West is the best. This can be true in many other aspects in Western culture, there are wonderful things there are Positive, wholesome types of practices belief, and we must adopt them there's no any harm but at the same time in Western culture there are also negative aspects we should not accept them so if you train your child from the right beginning before the child reach to be a teenager if you can train your child look at the world impartially and analyze scrutinize and understand the things the way they are and you are training your child to be independent you are training your child to see the things beyond these existing cultural barriers and political influences and we then think very independent way Another reason why our teenagers can be easily influenced by the others and sometimes converted to other religions is again because of our mistake. If you teach your young children the teachings of the Buddha, the Dhamma, if you teach these kids when they are small to understand the teachings through analyzing, through questioning, then of course this child will develop a kind of mind which is inclusive, questioning type of mind. So when it comes to religious belief, he will not accept anything out of blind belief. He will question it. And he will compare the other teachings with the Dhamma. When he compare the other teachings with the Dhamma, he see the truth. He understand how precious it is. And perhaps then he will still stick into this path. Of course, other than that, being teenagers during that period, they may not very much into religion. They are not very much into traditions. They like to dance. So what you must do? You must provide them the opportunity to dance. In the temples, open the doors. Give them the opportunity to come and dance here. Have their dramas. Eventually you can introduce the teachings to them. Well, if they like to sing, why don't you open your temples for them and provide the opportunity for them to come here and sing? When they sing songs one hour, you take 10 minutes of them from it to teach the Dharma. Start something simple. You still keep the link with these teenagers. And eventually, when they are grown up, when they are matured, and when they are independent, wise and intelligent, then they still have the link. They still have the seed with them. They are not going to be deviated even though during that short period, even though we feel like they are going away, but they will come back, provided you train your children in this way. So friends, in fact, the biggest mistake is done by the parents and the teachers. Why are you so interested to teach your child the tradition rather than the Dhamma? what is more important what is is more important devotional practices practices, chanting rites and rituals or the noble eightfold path Path. what do you think what What is more scientific more practical more empirical empirical, empirical, which which can transform human mind mind to become better human human being which one is the essential then why do you emphasize so much in tradition rather than the Dhamma? This is where we make the mistakes. One day, when I was under the Bodhi tree in our temple, I happened to see a mother and a a young girl, a teenager girl. Mother took three joysticks and gave to the teenager girl and asked her to go three rounds and then offer to the Buddha. This girl I asked, "Why? Why should I do that?" Mother said, "Just do it la." Don't ask questions. That is not the proper way. I waited, I waited them, them to finish their simple devotional the practices and got the opportunity to have some words with them, and I explained them the meaning when you ask your child to offer a lamp in front of the Buddha in fact without waiting for the child to ask you the question you must ask the child do you know why do we do this do we know why we offer this lamp in front of the Buddha you must ask the question and get the opportunity to explain the child make him practice the devotional practices with right understanding then no one can Change his mind later stage. No one can tell him that Buddha is a, he is a dead man, dead and gone. He's a devil. No point of praying to a devil. Such kind of teachings cannot change his brilliant mind because he has seen the truth. He has understood it. So, whatever the devotional, cultural, religious practices that you are going to introduce to your child. You must introduce to your child with right understanding. But first of all, you yourself learn it. Because many of us we are traditional Buddhist. Buddhists by birth, not by practice. No one is a Buddhist by birth but by practice. So friends, even though these devotional practices, rites and rituals, they all are very, very important. I myself teach them. I myself encourage them. I myself do them. But Dhamma is more important. So you must give the priority for the Dhamma. So friends, if we train our children, our teenagers to appreciate in this way the sublime teachings of the Buddha, And then, of course, we are leading them on the right path. Well, the time has come for all of us to think carefully and influence our fellow brothers and sisters to think in a different way. While preserving the sublime teachings of the Buddha, let's change the traditions. Let's be open-minded. Then we will preserve this Dhamma for the future generations. There will be more people who will come to contact with these sublime teachings. They will understand these sublime teachings and they will practice it. If you are not going to change, then we are going to lose our future. I think this much is enough as a talk. If you have good questions, we can spend some time.
0: time any questions but okay, there I got one question Can you find it? hello 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 I love it. Here? Okay. Oh, this question is: This person used to do voluntary work in a temple, a Buddhist temple. And every time when he want to do uh, voluntary work, he will ask Buddha for blessing, because sometimes the task is very demanding. And she's afraid that she can't fulfill and usually she find that after asking blessing from the Buddha if she feel that she's more blessed so she believes if it is something beneficial to uh, to whoever Buddha always bestow his blessing so one day, is this true
1: blessings of the triple gems is the greatest blessing that a buddhist can derive when someone has got great faith in the buddha that person will practice the dharma when someone has got great faith in the buddha and Dhamma and that person has great respect to us the sangha when someone has got great confidence and faith in the triple gems he will or she will definitely get the blessings of the triple gems that person will be helped will be protected will be blessed by many others There are bodhisattvas in human realm, in human form. They will bless you. There are bodhisattvas in divine realm, in divine form. They too will bless you. You will come across many blessings in your life. But of course, All these blessings can be derived only through practicing. So when someone come in front of a Buddhist statue, when that person see the face of the Buddha, if all anger, hatred, ill will, jealousy, cruelty, if these defilements were to be weakened, it itself is a great blessing. When you see the face of the Buddha, if your mind becomes serene, peaceful, happy, it itself is a great blessing. When you have such confidence in the Buddha, and you will develop great confidence to follow his noble path, step by step when you practice the Noble Eightfold Path, you are deriving the great blessings of the Dhamma. Seeing the Venerable Monks, the noble community of the Venerable Ones itself is a great blessing according to the Mangala Sutta. Samana Nanchadasana Seeing the noble Monks itself is a great blessing. Why it is so? Because they will refrain you from evil. They will encourage you in cultivation good. They will show you the noble path So this is itself, it is a great blessing. So, of course, devotional practices are encouraged. If these devotional practices are not fruitful, if they are not useful, then we monks ourselves will not practice them. But of course, devotional practices should not be considered as a substitute to Dhamma practice. Devotional practices and Dhamma practices should go in hand in hand, hand in hand. Devotional practices establish faith in us, great confidence in us. It help us to follow the path diligently, with courage. Devotional practices will help us to overcome the mundane problems, sufferings. Buddhists, they go to the temples and they do devotional practices, share the merits with the devas, ask the virtuous devas to help them. And as I said, there can be bodhisattvas as devas, as well as as human beings. And there also can be devas who are virtuous by nature. And we can get the help from these beings. So it's perfectly alright. You can carry on it. So when you practice devotional practices, you will will feel more confident, more peaceful, more sublime. And this, in return, will help you practice the Dhamma and eventually these practices can go hand-in-hand that is why even before we practice meditation we still pay homage to triple gems or any kind of meritorious actions before we do we still pay our homage to Buddha Dhamma and Sangha this practice has got religious spiritual cultural and and psychological aspects they all are very important
0: any more questions
2: Hello. hello, hello, hello. Thank you, Bhante, for your entertaining talk. Uh, I fully agree that uh, Buddhism has to adapt and change in the new times. Now, what I find uh, somehow difficult, and uh, I believe uh, that uh, also happens to a lot of people, is on the Pali language. You know, I I find that it's very difficult to chant and very difficult to understand and I have checked with a few people and they have the same view on that. So I would just like to understand uh, Pante's view. Uh, What do you think if uh, all the chanting can be converted to English for more people to understand and practice? Thank
1: you. Ability to do the chanting is a plus point. But it is not compulsory to practice the Dhamma. You can definitely achieve enlightenment without doing chanting. What you have to do to follow the Noble Eightfold Path and practice the Dhamma, practice the meditation. Eventually develop your spiritual, ethical, intellectual faculties in order to uproot the defilements. So here chanting is not compulsory, but it is important. You ask whether we can do the chanting in English. Perfectly alright. In fact, there are societies, communities who do the chanting only in English. They don't use Pali. I myself conduct the chanting class. Pali chanting class. There I teach the people how to do the Pali chanting, at the same time understand the meaning of it in English. Then, is chanting in Pali still important? Yes, it is very important for some reasons. Throughout thousands of years, Buddhist monks, they preserved the teachings of the Buddha in Pali language. So Buddhism is recorded in Pali language. Now it is very important for us to preserve the Pali language for the simple reason because original teaching is recorded in Pali. Even though these teachings have been translated into English and many other languages, and when we translate from one language to another language, it easily can misinterpret And in fact, such things happen at the beginning of translation of Pali Tipitaka into English. And some of the Western scholars not only misinterpreted, I should not use the word misinterpreted, probably maybe lack of the Pali knowledge, they interpreted it wrongly. But then based on such kind of interpretations, then some other scholars wrote books, which became popular, but they all gave misunderstanding and misconceptions into Western world. Now suppose we delete out Pali and we depend on only this existing language. Then from language to language when Buddhism is translated and at the end it can give totally different types of meaning. So misinterpretation is possible. But Since we have preserved the Pali, any person at any time if he or she wishes to check the original teachings against this existing translation, they can do that. So we prevent misinterpretations. So recently, of course, we have got very good scholars like Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi, one of the greatest scholar monks, who dedicated to learn Pali language. And they are, of course, English people, and they are good in their language, and they have done better translations. So we still have to preserve the Pali because of that reason, then we will prevent people misinterpreting the teachings of the Buddha. Another reason why we must preserve the chanting, because chanting is adopted by monks and nuns, in order to transfer the teachings from generation to generation. Other than this, it has got another valid point. When we learn the suttas by heart and we can quote the Buddhas without distorting through original terms, then we can interpret it in English or other language. And the practitioners will find it is easy to retain the memory when you learn it as a poem or in a kind of rhythm. And not only that, Buddhist monks, they also use these Pali chanting um, in blessing service, uh, in other religious ceremonies. So of course, Pali chanting has got religious, spiritual, cultural, psychological uh, importance and many other aspects of it. So we still preserve Pali language. We still practice chanting. But of course, without knowing Pali, you can still learn the Dhamma, you can still practice the Dhamma, you can still be enlightened. So knowing Pali is a plus point, but not
2: compulsory.
3: And they just just what you mentioned about we must be conservative when um, preserving the dharma. Uh, what about the precepts? Because the seventh precept actually uh, says that we should refrain from music, dance. Now, okay, um, there will be there are some criticism of it at Peku uh, Budi when uh, he performed an organ, yeah? in a charitable event. Now, do you think, um, should we be conservative in the seven precepts such that, you know, whether it's a monastic or whether it's a true cool Buddhist that we should refrain from music, notwithstanding that this will actually encourage uh, people to come and attend events. I have one question for you, is that, will you play One, a piece by of one? Music, huh? will, will you play a piece of music before a Daba talk? If that will actually double or triple the attendance of your talk?
1: Of course I will, but unfortunately I cannot. I don't know.
3: So how do we resolve the apparent uh, incongruence between... Okay, first
1: of system? all, I think here we have got a very big misunderstanding. There is no single precept in Buddha's teaching which prohibits Buddha's followers playing music Or listening music or dancing or singing. You all are free. It is not a precept for lay people in ordinary life. So you are perfectly alright, you can sing and dance and you can play the music, you can enjoy, there's no any restrictions at all. But this precept is observed strictly when we are in retreats. Retreat is a time that we dedicate 24 hours for mindfulness practice. So when we are in a retreat, we have to observe certain principles, certain precepts in order to prevent defilements arising in our mind and also in order to calm down arisen defilements in our mind. So there are precepts. Just do this much. If you talk about eight precepts, some of these precepts they prevent you speaking unwholesome speech. Because unwholesome speech rooted in unwholesome thoughts. Some of these precepts prevent you behaving unethically, immorally, unwholesome way, because they produce defilements. They produce hatred, ill will, jealousy, anger, cruelty, lust, attachment, greed. All these are defilements. So there are these defilements to prevent us behaving uh, behaving unethically by speech and actions. There are also precepts which are very important for us to preserve our time and dedicate full time. For example, like uh, the use in the luxurious beds and uh, the cushions and all these in precepts, you are not allowed. Why? When you sit in luxurious beds and luxurious cushion, while you are sitting there, you might feel a little bit lazy and feel wanting to lie down a bit, feel so comfortable and cozy, and eventually you will become lazy. So we encourage you to sleep on the floor or in a very thin mattress. Then your body is energetic. You don't feel lethargic. You do not feel lazy. This is a precept. Another precept: prevent you using scents, garlands, and beautifying all these things. Imagine how how much time does a lady spend in front of a mirror? I really do not have any understanding, but I believe some of them might spend even one hour. Suppose you are in a retreat, and now you want to go and do your makeup and do beautifying and all these things. And when you are spending so much time, what you are developing? In your mind, you are developing the attachment towards your body, attachment to beauty. This is a form of defilement, cause of suffering. Not only that, why do you want to beautify? You want to look nice, attract the others, correct? So you input the defilements to others' mind as well. Create the lust, create the desire in others' mind as well. Correct? Don't you do that? We do that, correct? So, is it a proper action in the retreat? Why do we have to go for a retreat? It is to practice wholesome states of mind, mindfulness, and eventually achieve enlightenment. So this precept is not there just because you're beautiful you are going to be born in the hell. Or oh, it is not because it is unethical. It is perfectly alright, correct? In ordinary day, when you go to work, in your life, you are always doing it. That's fine. That's fine. It's not unethical. But in a pre- in a retreat, we prevent doing it. Because of this reason. So there are such kind of precepts. They are not unethical. They are not immoral. But these precepts are there for a reason. Why we are both? We don't have hair like you. How much time do you spend for your hair? If you have got the hair, you have to wash it, you have to clean it, you have to tidy it up. Sometimes you have to color it. Correct? You have to go to the saloon every month, once or twice. And you spend a lot of money and a lot of time on your hair. So we just shave it off, finish. We can use that time for something extra. And it will remind us we are different from the others. So our teachers, when we are very small, uh, young monks. They always used to teach us when we behave like when we are children, we behave like children, even though we are monks. So, at that kind of occasions, our teachers come to us very compassionately and say, Touch your hair. Then we touch, then say, No hair, correct? (laughs) So, you are different from other human beings. You cannot behave like the others. You must train yourself because you have chosen this path. So, that's a gentle reminder. So there are many uh, precepts, all these are there for a reason. So of course when it comes to monastic order, monastic precepts, I agree that there are certain precepts, perhaps maybe we can modify, perhaps maybe we can adjust and adopt, perhaps maybe we can introduce new precepts and there is a need for it. But the community of venerable ones 2,500 years now, they have not changed any precepts and they have not introduced any because we have not come to common agreement. Having said so, modern monks, monks like us who live in the cities, we have adjusted and adopted. We have adjusted and adopted with understanding. So lay people, that's nothing to do with your business, don't go to to the extent to criticise the monks and nuns in modern societies for the simple reason, are you ready to be a monk or nun? Can you do this? Are you ready? So we cannot find in modern societies many people who can sacrifice and do this. And they are still trying even in modern societies. But still, there are also monks and nuns who keep all these precepts, all these precepts, and they live in suitable environment. So with due respect to those venerable monks and nuns as well, we have kept the precept as in original format. Perhaps in the time to come, if the community of venerable ones all the monks in Buddhist countries if they get together if they have the congregation and come to a kind of unifying conclusion that we must change certain precepts and adopt certain precepts and that is the time for that and they can do that Buddha has given that freedom Buddha has given that freedom but the monks have not used that freedom as a community yet I believe that I answer your question
4: Hi, Pante. Why do we need to compare ourselves to another? Uh, sorry. The other religion itself, the tendency in the Western society itself, the is falling. Why are we not preserving our own culture and traditions?
1: Uh my friend I did not understand what you said.
4: I'm saying that why do we need to compare ourselves to another religion itself that have the dance whereas the Western society itself is already the attendance for them is already falling away right? and going to be, soon to be a minority in that place
1: Why do we have to compare? The comparison is important for better understanding. When you go to market, to say, suppose you are going to buy a computer, don't you compare compare the prices? Don't you compare the qualities? Don't you compare the... <laughs> the durability don't you do that yes we do but why have, do you do that
4: but have you do you know that Christ, why where exactly christianity comes from and why does it forms it's because of political reason itself the roman empire was crumbling and they tried to unify have you heard of, of hellenistic judaism
1: i'm simply putting Uh, an idea across what I'm trying to tell you the question that you're asking why we have to compare and I'm simply putting it forward we compare things to understand better if we of course we should not use the labels we should not do it in a such a way that we hurt the feelings of the others but we take in the general concepts we still have to compare if you do not do that you will not understand how precious is your teaching for these reasons we always do that for example there can be people who says all the religions are same in the first place if I were to agree with that statement that all the religions are same I will agree with that statement with one condition that condition if we agree that all the religions are same, then at least we create peace. For that simple reason, the peace is so important, I will accept so. But if you ask me, and if you want to say that all the religions same, whether I agree with it deeply, then I do not. For the simple reason, I recognize there are differences between religions and religious concepts. Even one concept can have so different views in different religions. For that reason, we still have to compare. For example, someone might say in this way, our religions, we also teach love. Your religions, you also teach love. What is the difference? For example, when we talk about metta, metta meditation, someone might say that. Then, if I were to analyze such a concept, I still can see the difference. Yes, true, all the religions teach love, teach friendliness, kindness. But, they have limitations. Some religions say, love you are fellow brothers and sisters when they say love your fellow brothers and sisters they also accept those who do not belong to your system of thinking your religious views in fact they are non-believers some extremists can go to the extent it is okay to kill the extremists, the, uh, the, it is okay to kill those non-believers. I don't want to use the terms, but this is possible. There are human beings who think in that way. In that sense, their love, their kindness, their goodwill is extended only particular group of human beings and they exclude the others. Some religion can go to the extent again. They also teach this love, but they may include all the human beings. They might say that we must love all the human beings, but then they exclude the animals. They exclude the animals. For for them, it is perfectly alright to kill the animals and consume. It's all right. Principally they agree. Now, when it comes to, we are still talking about love, when it comes to Buddhist concept of love, which is metta, and there is no discrimination, there is no barriers. Buddhist love of metta should be radiated towards human beings, animals, non-human beings, those who have in gross level bodies, those who are subtle level bodies, those who live in this planet, or those who live in other planets in this universe, without any barrier. So this is where I'm saying: if you do not compare, how do you understand this concept?
4: One day I'm a Christian. Last time, two months ago I'm a Christian. I converted to a Buddhist after I, 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 I got a notion. Basically, you can Google what's Hellenistic Judaism. It's a combination of Judaism and a Greek empire religion. Greek empire have a have a have, a, have a notion of creating religion itself to un- to unite the empire and the countries. So you can Google Hellenistic Judaism and the five patriarch, the five centers, early centers of Christians. Everybody knows who the apostles is. But nobody knows who jesus is you can google it everything is everything is is, everything is internet right now
1: so i believe you are sharing so i believe you're not asking any questions and even though if you were to ask questions related to history in fact i'm not suitable to answer yeah any other questions
4: about uh, a lot of things some they said also oh this one is a Buddha and then also and then they explained about other things like oh this is Dhamma but I know this one is not Dhamma and this one is not Buddha so as a Buddhist should I direct tell to them explain to them oh this one is not Dhamma and then what is this Dhamma or what is Buddha and, uh, or because of friend and then in their community, or should I just keep quiet? Thank
2: you.
1: Depends on the situation. If these friends of yours, if they are broader-minded, and if they are open for the new concepts, new ideas, and if you think that these friends perhaps might understand, then you can share with them but if you understand these friends they in fact they argue for the sake of convincing uh, for the sake of winning not for the sake of understanding in such occasion maybe it is better to be keep quiet (laughs) because why do we engage in a debate for me If I were to engage in a debate, I must get something out of it. There are people who engage in debate to show off their knowledge. And I'm not there for it. There are people who engage in debate to show their skills and capabilities and prove that they are cleverer and if it is the case I'm still not there for it but it's still there can be some people to show their egoism and they feel satisfied the other person is defeated and the other person is convinced and it is again egoism so it's still it is useless to argue with such people but there are others Another category these people are genuine they want to know the truth they are ready to see the truth and those people they argue for the sake of the realizing the truth and if you come across such a person you spend hours and hours and days and days and you can engage in debate because they simply want to understand the truth so it is Worth spending your precious time. So, for those people who engage in arguments and debates with the intention of knowing the concept, realizing the concept, and I think we must uh, talk to these people. So, try to understand your friends, and then perhaps you might adjust an little.
5: Thank you, Pante. Uh, just a little sharing, the brother, with regarding your Pavi chanting. Uh, what I find special of Pavi chanting is that uh, when I went to India to, on the pilgrimage, we went to visit various uh, Buddhist centers of uh, different Nepawis, uh, Sri Mankhan, and, and somehow the wherever you go is the same Pavi chanting. And when we went to the various holy sites something magical Dewey, you can actually feel that this was the place that it was 1500 years ago that magic spirit comes in so similarly I think we had the Catholic Church and some of them when they stopped Latin, as more Jewish, something magical was lost because so, there's something special I think to understand it.
0: Any other questions?
1: you got questions more no questions so, shall we put our palms together friends be happy and joyful that we all got together here to discuss the Dharma today the merits that we acquired through the process be upon the good devas. May the devas rejoice over these merits. Having shared these merits, may the devas protect you, protect your loved ones, protect the dispensation of the Buddha. May the devas attain bliss of Nibbana. Sisad. Our departed relatives and friends, wherever they are, may they all share these merits. Having shared these merits, may they be free from worries and sufferings. Be well, be happy. May all our departed loved ones attain bliss of Nibbana. May the great blessings of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha be upon all of you. May all of your good wishes good dreams come true. May there be peace and happiness in your life. May these merits be helpful to refrain from the evil, to cultivate the good, to follow the noble path of the Buddha and attain bliss of Nibbana. Thank you, Pante, for that. Uh, sit,
0: sit. No more questions, then we will end the sessions. Can you please rise? Please say three times sadhu to bante. sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.